All right, we'll see how long this thing stays on this, this week. So we were two minutes into the sermon last time when it went out. So, um, and I don't know if I could yell like that again, and I don't want to, honestly. So um, it's so good to be here. It's um, a little warm in the sun, but God's given us a nice breeze today. Um, but, I, but I just want to share the obvious, um, or maybe it's not obvious. Maybe it, maybe it needs to be obvious that this is a highlight of my week. This is a highlight of, of my life. And, and the reason is because um, we're together uh, with one purpose, with one spirit, with one foundation of truth. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I do take that for granted a lot of times, and I bicker against that sometimes, and I look at it like it's a burden sometimes, um, but, but it's not. Like, it encourages my soul so much to come and, and to just do what we're doing this morning. Um, and that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Um, you know, this thing has come into our life um, called COVID, um, and I know you're sick of hearing it, so I'm only going to mention it, like, as, as least amount of times as I possibly can. But the reality is that there are some trends um, that, are, that are going to occur in our culture, in our society, um, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, um, that will never be the same. And what we're finding right now as pastors, and when I say we, I'm talking about pastors that I'm hearing from all over the place, um, pastoring churches. There are also trends due to what's happened inside the church that may never go back to the way they were. Um, there's, some, there's a shaking of the tree that's happened um, with this thing. And it's even, it's even shaken the church. And I, and I want to say, first of all, that I'm not an alarmist. I'm not here to scare anybody or bring fear. Um, I don't think that's why God gave me a voice. Um, uh, he has overcome all of that. Uh, but I just want to uh, make you aware. Um, I, want you, uh, I, wanna, I want you to agree with me. More, more than that, the word of God that it's okay when God shakes the church. It's okay um, when things that were once normal and predictable and comfortable um, are no longer that way. Um, it's actually good for us. And there's a lot of people that like to say, well, God isn't doing that because otherwise I would like it better. Um, and that's just not biblical. God does things all the time that we don't like because Father knows best, you know. And, um, and, and when he does the things that make us uncomfortable, he's also going to give us what we need. He's going to supply our needs with how we walk through that and how we, um, we meet every challenge that comes through that, right? Uh, and so I, I want to speak to um, one of the trends today because, again, this is something that's close to my heart as a pastor. Um, it's kind of breaking my heart right now. Um, and, and this may not be to you guys. I may be singing to the choir this morning or because you guys are actually here um, to kind of give it away. Um, but um, I grew up uh, in a Christian home. And what that means is that I had a mom that loved Jesus and a dad that loved Jesus. The church that we were going to... Um, had its problems. <laughs> um, looking back on it, I, I wouldn't say um, that it was very Christ-centered. I wouldn't say that it was very gospel-centered or Christocentric. Um, it was very fundamental. It was very law-based. It was very moral. If you looked right and acted right and did the right things, then you were a Christian and a good American. Um, and that's false Christianity. Uh, it's not true at all. But nevertheless, my parents um, 
um, were fully committed to um, this church. And so every single week from the time I was born to the time I was about 15, when I finally just started giving my parents the finger and said, I'm not going with you anymore, um, it it was three times a week. Um, Every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, we went to church and we gathered with the fellowship, uh, with the assembly of the saints, okay? And then beyond that, there would be other Bible studies that they would have during the week, or we would have other groups that were um, in in our house during the week. Uh, And so, like, our whole life, our whole life was about being with the church. It was about the church together. And I don't know why that's happening, but maybe I should not move, right? Stay in one place. So, um, what I want to say is that what, how I grew up that way with my parents told me a story. It, it taught me a story. Um, and that story was that being present in a corporate church setting and all that was done there was a priority. It was something that was of utmost importance to my parents and to their family, even though I dreaded it most of the time as a kid growing up. And when I began my Christian walk, and I was a new believer and started a family at 20 years old and had our first child at 20 years old, um, um, I knew that the same thing mattered for my family, even though I didn't completely um, understand why. And so I began carrying on that same legacy um, with our family, um, doing that same thing. And looking back on my marriage, looking back on my parenting, um, all that stuff, I have a million regrets, guys. There are things that I wish I could go back and I can undo. There are things that I am ashamed of that I walked in and lived in as a husband and as a dad. But I do not regret this one. That we were, though a highly imperfect family, a family that was committed to being part of the church when it gathered. And the bottom line is this. My parents taught me that church was an excuse to miss everything else. Which is the title of our message today. You see, our our flesh, for a million reasons, and our culture is good at turning this around, right? At making us believe that everything else is an excuse to miss church. And I've been there and I've played this game and I see other people do it. Where it's, it's an option that's at the bottom of the pile, not the top. And so if the weather's not good or NASCAR ain't running or what, whatever, the lakes aren't happening, then I guess we'll go to church. After all, we're not under the law, right? We're under grace. I'm not saved by my church attendance. I'm saved by grace through faith and people, that is true. But the question I would ask this morning is, is our thinking, is, is, is how, is, is this, if this is our thinking, sorry, what does that say about our faith? If this is our thinking, that going to church really doesn't matter, what does that say about our relationship with God? What does that say about our understanding of Him? Does it matter to Him that we gather or not? Or worse, what if attending church is at the bottom of our options, like I talked about? Um, Why is it so easy? And this is um, what I'm kind of tripping out on these days, is a lot of Christians see going to church as like an equivalent of going to the dentist. You know what I mean? Um, And 
what I have found is that once you take a break, it's really easy um, to just stay on break. Okay? That's what I found with, with gathering with the saints. Um, there's people that have asked me before, we've been going for 10 years strong. I've never taken a sabbatical as a pastor. And I guess that means when you go take a long period of time and rest. And there's people that have come up and said, why don't you do this, man? Why aren't you? And I've said, because if I do, I may not come back. And, and I know that that sounds silly, but it's also true. I know how I get. I know how my flesh gets when I work into um, a different way of doing life, especially when it seems like it's easier, right? Uh, Peggy, it's funny, she had shared this thing this week on Facebook that I saw, and it was the billboard uh, to a church, one of those billboards that sits out in front of a church with the little, you know, move around letters on it. And it said, the danger of missing church is that soon you won't miss it. And um, I know that, that that's true for me and many other people that I see. Um, I, I don't need to tell you right now that times are weird, like things are off. Like a new wind is blowing, and there's some shifting that's going on. And this is the first time I can remember in my life where I've ever seen, for any reason, the church shut down and not gather. When we were quarantined, I've never seen or heard of anything like that in America. We went for three months without being able to meet in person as a church. And that three-month break from meeting has made known the reality of how many Christians view the importance of gathering together as the church. Because many people, after this three-month sabbatical, has not returned, and they're not going to. There's a Barna study that recently came out, if you've never heard of Barna. It's this group out of, like, Ventura Beach, California, Southern California. And they just go around, and they do studies of um, the church. They basically take a pulse of the church. And I'm not going to read it to you, but basically this was the conclusion of the study that just came out by Barna is that one in three practicing Christians, I don't even know what that, that means, that's a weird phrase, still attend their pre-COVID church, okay? One in three people still attend their pre-COVID church. And out of the ones that aren't, the other two people, um, it's that they've either started double dipping um, online into other churches and, and they haven't gone back to their committed church and they won't. Or it's, it's that people have said, I haven't tapped into church at all since COVID went down and I actually don't have any intention to going forward. There are people that just aren't going to come back. This is the shaking of the tree. This looks horrible, but this is actually God's filtering system, Right. And it's not that I pray that those people would go. I pray that those people would come. But God, again, knows exactly what he's doing. Now, I know given the circumstances of COVID that there are some valid, even very wise scenarios out there for why some people aren't coming back yet. I'm extremely mindful of that. I have a couple in the Sun River um, congregation. We have a couple up there that goes to church there that they, are, they work in a prison. Okay. And it's just not, they're, they're not able to come to large gatherings on their days off and then take whatever they're going to take back into that facility. That's wise. Likewise, we've got people that are, that are nurses, that are working in care facilities or retirement homes. It wouldn't be smart for them to come to a gathering, risk getting something, and taking it back. Some of us are taking care of family, in-laws, that have a low immune system, right? And you don't want to take something back. And so... There's a ton of scenarios why it's wise that some people haven't. But there's also just as many 
of those scenarios that are invalid and unwise reasons why some people aren't coming back. And the truth is this. In the closing years of the 20th century, through the opening of the 21st century, all the way up till today, technology has allowed us to experience and enjoy some of the benefits of things that go on at church without having to go to church. Now, I'm going to be the first one to say this. When COVID went down, praise God that those technologies existed. Otherwise, you and I would have been doing things a lot. Things would have looked a lot different than they did. So even though we weren't meeting like this, we were at least still able to keep in touch somewhat with each other because of that. And so we even pushed some of that stuff, right? And I want to mention that a lot, a lot of these things, given the proper place and context, can, and are be a, uh, can be a blessing, just like we saw during COVID, right? But when used and relied upon unnecessarily, they can actually be cheating us. They can actually be robbing the church. Much of what we use to gather together for it, earlier on in our history as the church are now available to us and enjoyed apart from needing to gather together. Many people think this is fantastic, and at times I do too, because it allows us to further privatize and individualize our Christianity. It allows us to get the Jesus things we want minus the people. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times that's the part of it we don't care for. How many times have you heard that stupid phrase, which I hate, but it's true? Oh, I love Jesus, I just don't like his people very much, right? Which actually doesn't work biblically. But a lot of us think that way. We like the idea of having the Jesus stuff minus the risk, minus the heartbreaks, minus the close contact nature of Christianity. Now, here's a couple of the reasons, the biggest reasons, that we used to gather together for church and no longer have to. Preaching. I don't know how many podcasts, I don't know how many sermons I listen to every week, and I love it. I praise God for it. Podcasts. It's on my phone. I pack my phone full of my favorite guys, and I'll go for drives or whatever, and I'll just sit and listen to sermons. And I love it. It's an awesome thing, but the point is it's one of those things that I no longer have to go to church to get. Worship music, right? This started way back when radio started, but, but now we, we do this with Pandora and, I mean, anything. We have so many platforms now for this that while we're working, we can put on our, our, our headphones. While we're driving, we can listen to our favorite worship stuff. When we're uh, running around the kitchen and cleaning the house, we can listen to our favorite worship stuff. When we're floating on a river, we can do that. It's no longer something that we have to go to church to get. Keeping in touch. Church also used to be the hub of the community. Some of you are old enough to remember that, where if you didn't go to church on Sundays, you weren't hearing what was actually going on in your town. That was a place where you kept in touch, right? We don't have to do that now because of the social media platforms that we have. That's our new version of how we keep in touch. We no longer have to go to church to experience that. We are now able to access and enjoy each of these staples of the Christian assembly in a way that we want to when we want to. And again, this is a huge blessing when the circumstances are, are right, just like we talked about, when they don't allow us to gather. But what about when they do? 
What about when we can gather together? Are these things a healthy substitute? Now, I don't know about you guys, but about two months into this quarantine thing going down, I was over it. Now, a lot of you don't know it, and I don't know why God ever did this. I don't know why he ever made me a pastor slash preacher because it involves me being in front of people and having a lot of conversations with people. And I'm not an extrovert. If I went to an island for the rest of my life and never had to have another conversation, I'd be fine. At least, at least I always thought I would. About two months into this COVID thing, I was over it. I missed you guys. I missed what we're doing right now together. I needed to see my brothers and sisters in Christ. I needed their hugs. I know some of you aren't hugging right now, so let me know if I come at you. I needed to hear your voices. I needed to be able to look you in the eye when I talk to you. I needed to worship physically next to you guys. And I thought to myself, why do so many people not need this? There was this... Um, I don't know what it's called. It's like a, is it a GIF? I'm asking Jordan. Is it a GIF? Is that a, those, a GIF? A, a GIF. I don't know what that stands for. But there was this one really popular one during quarantine. And I'm sure you guys saw it because it was Christians that were actually like reposting this thing on their Facebook over and over again. And it was, it was a clip of Chris Farley, right? I think it was a Saturday night live clip. And it was, I think, uh, took place in a church. And he was like a preacher guy making his entrance to the pulpit from the back. And he's like super charismatic and he's super energized. And he's super excited that he's like going from side to side, doing high fives and slapping people and twirling around and jumping. Like he's just like on fire to get up to the pulpit. Like it's the most important thing that's about to happen is the church is going to come together and, and hear the word of God and be the church and do the church thing. And all these Christians were posting it and saying, saying, this is me when quarantine's over. And it's amazing how many of those people that posted that, we've been back for almost eight weeks. And I'm not just talking about here. I'm talking about up in, up in Sun River. And I don't know where people are at. I don't know where people that posted that are. Like they're here somewhere, they're at home. And I just don't, I just think, why? Why? Why do so many Christians not care about coming together as the church? Why are so many Christians so content to stay isolated from personal interaction and life away from the body of Christ? I gave a few reasons why people found it easy to stay away now because sermons are now replaced um, in the comfort of our own home. Uh, music, um, keeping in touch, things that technically has allowed us to still receive and enjoy the isolation without attending the church. Let me give you three reasons now, and there's more, but let me give you three reasons why church and going to church should still be an excuse to miss everything else. Okay? Number one, Jesus told us to. Okay? And this is where you can grab your Bibles. I know that I didn't start in a text this week. I went on a rant. If you got a Bible, you can grab them now. Hebrews chapter 10. I think you know what section I'm going to. Verse 23. 
reasons why going to church should still be an excuse to miss everything else is because Jesus told us to. He says in Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day there, if you notice, is a capital D. Do you know what that means? Do you know what day is being talked about? It is the day of the visitation of God to this planet. It is the day when his wrath comes, when his sickle swipes across the surface of the globe, when he collects his saints, and when judgment happens and books are opened. It's the day with a big D that we've all been waiting for, that all of this has been leading up to. This means is that as we see the day approaching, we need more of each other not less. We need more of each other. I need more of you. And I don't know why, but you need more of me. It's mutual. We need more of each other, not less. This means that as we see the day approaching, we don't need more individualism and time for ourselves as Christians. We need more of each other. And this is what the gospel does, right? By nature. It unifies, not divides. It brings and pulls together. Not apart. It brings together into one a people that were not once one. And that doesn't just mean when we get up to heaven. It means now. It means right now. And that doesn't just mean... I'm going to move on. The gospel in awaking us to God and Christ makes us dependent on him for all things. And in that, it also awakens us to an active need and dependence on each other. The work of Jesus on our behalf may be individual in its conversion, but not in its calling, purpose, and life. In other words, the church is not a human invention. Our relational need and dependence on each other is not a human invention. It's divinely intentional. Reading the New Testament, even with one eye closed, will still lead you to the inescapable conclusion that the church was God's idea, not ours. It was his plan A, not plan B for the redeemed. Christianity was not built on the premise of individualism, but on a unified collective. And we're not good at that. That's why, that's the way he designed it. With him being the head of that body, connecting himself directly to us, or should I say, connecting us directly to him. This means that if you want to get rid of the church, in a large sense, you have to get rid of Jesus. If you want to neglect being an active part of the corporate reality of the assembling of the saints, you are actually neglecting to be an active part in Christ. So the first reason why the church should be an excuse to miss everything else is because Jesus told us to. He told us to go. He told us to be together. Number two, the second reason why church is still a good excuse to miss everything else is because we now live to serve, not to be served. We now live to serve, not to be served. 
If you want, you can flip over to Matthew chapter 20. What we have in this section is we have this mom that comes to Jesus, and she's the mom of the sons of Zebedee. You know who those two guys were? John and James. This is John and James's mom coming to Jesus. And guess what she wants to know as she pulls these, these two kids in that she's proud of really close before the Lord? She says, hey, I'm, I'm just wanting to make sure that when you get into your kingdom, these two have the best seats. I mean, that's, I don't know, maybe a normal request from a proud mom, right? And Jesus then pulls his disciples aside and he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles rule it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be that way among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be the first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man, even as, there's the connector, just like you're seeing in me, this is what I'm expecting of you, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, Jesus is saying to his disciples, this is my plan for you. This is my plan for my people. Any and all who will follow me, this is my will for them. Not to be served, but to serve. So this really is the difference between contributing in this setting and consumerism. Contributing versus consuming. Our humanistic tendency is to look out for number one. I know that mine is. Like, I'm super good at that, right? And for many of us, when it ain't going well for us in the church, according to our personal preferences and needs, we bail. Now, I'm not saying there's ever, uh, uh, never a good reason to leave churches. There are. Here's the best one. If that church is not preaching and teaching a biblical Jesus and a biblical gospel, run. Like, don't wait. Just run. Go to a church that is. But so many times, we will leave and get upset over the most piddly things. This is the antithesis, this kind of thinking is the antithesis of Christianity. Consumerism in the church is antithetical to what the church is. And yet the weird thing is that it is the church in large part that's responsible for pushing and peddling consumerism in the church. We do it by hiring professional musicians coupled with state-of-the-art light shows, right? Gourmet coffee and messages that always tickle and never sting. We have crafted a consumeristic worship experience that has been fine-tuned to say, you, 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 it's all about you. And all the while, Jesus is insisting in the scriptures, others, others, others. It's all about others. How are we going to exercise others if we cut ourselves off from the very platform in which God has given us to function as servants, which is in his church. Consumerism isn't found in just going to church to get and to receive. It's also made more evident in walking away from the church altogether. 
which is what we're seeing right now. We now live in Christ to serve, not to be served. And this is another reason why church is a good excuse to miss everything else. Finally, number three, we don't go to church. We are the church. Another reason why church is a good excuse to miss everything else is because we are the church. When you're not here, I feel it somehow. I'm affected somehow. The fullness of the expression of God and what He's done in Christ is not full when you're not here. And I don't mean that to put more on you like it sounds, but what I'm saying is it matters more than we think it does. What God has called each of us and gifted each of us with matters more than we think it, do, it does. I don't know how many times a week one of the conversations I have with myself when I'm sitting at home is how much what I do doesn't matter. That's not true according to God. And that's what matters is what God thinks. Peter says that you and I are living stones built one upon another. Paul says that we're all individual body parts that make up a full body. Think about those analogies for a second. Because they're not small ones, they're big ones. With big implications. 1 Corinthians 12, if you want to turn there. 12 through 14, Paul says this. For just as the human body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free. All were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. In those two verses, do you know how many time, times the word one appears? Six times. One. 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 Along with many. In other words, not only has God brought us into something much bigger than ourselves, he's actually rescued us out of individualism. He rescued us out of an individualistic mindset. We belong to something bigger. We are needed in something bigger. We are relied upon in something bigger. We are a necessary component to the overall function of something bigger than ourselves. Christianity opposes the idea that each Christian should do what's right in his own eyes because it's all about them and Jesus. How many times have we heard this said or said it ourselves? It's all about a personal relationship between you and Jesus. Kinda. That's what we tell people. But according to Paul, and according to a large majority of New Testament teachings, that's not completely true. It is appealing though, isn't it? It is appealing to think that I'm isolated and insulated, just me and Jesus. To be able to do whatever I need to do, however I need to do it in my life. That's appealing. Because relationships are hard. Loving others up close is hard. Being accountable is hard. Knowing others and being known by others is hard. And so we opt out. We create a space that is safe, simple, and predictable. And we're somehow convinced that we're better off that way. 
But for the Christian, it's a trap. Because the only one who wants us to believe that we're better off on our own is our enemy. That's how we get picked off. That's how we start saying things to ourselves that aren't true, but we think they are. If we fail to realize that, then we will buy that lie, hurting both ourselves as well as the entire body because the church is like a body. If something goes missing or stops working, the whole body knows it and is affected. It all pays for it. It all suffers. Have you ever gotten up from a nap or just sitting and one of your legs is completely asleep? It doesn't work, right? Like the rest of your body knows it. You have to like sit back down until that thing comes back, until that blood starts moving right again. Jesus' version of Christianity is one that is highly relational based on community. What's the key word in that word? Community? Unity. As Peter said, like a house built of stone, stone upon stone, mortared together, bound and fixed together by Christ Jesus. That's unity. If you are a born-again believer, you can't disassociate from the church as a Christian any more than you can disassociate from humanity as a person. Therefore, another reason why church is an excuse to miss everything else is because we do not go to church. We are the church. That's why we can meet out here in this field right now, right? I don't see any crosses or symbolism or images, right? Do you know why this park is a place of worship of the Most High God right now? Because this church is gathered in it. When we go back into that gymnasium, if we ever do, do you know what makes that, on those days, something more than just a gymnasium? That God's church is gathered in it. It's us. It's you and I. I need you. I'm going to give you, leave you with one more reason why going to church is still an excuse to, everything, to miss everything else. And that's the gospel. The gospel is another reason why. If you would, turn to Philippians chapter 2. We'll close with this. Starting in verse 3, Paul says to the Philippian church, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interest of others. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you know what this means? It means that Jesus didn't stay. He went. Jesus didn't stay. He went. It would have been easier for Jesus just to stay home. 
in my evaluation, in his place of glory, which he already attained. But he went. It would have been more convenient for him to stay, but he went. It would have been more comfortable for him to stay, but he went. It would have been safer for him to stay, but he went. And don't you and I love that he didn't stay, but that he went. You and I are here today enjoying the fullness of the blessings of God at Christ's expense because he didn't stay. He went. The gospel tells a story of one coming to us from outside of us to benefit us even though he owed us nothing. If we love that story, if we love that narrative, there is no greater way for us to love it than to model it. And this is one of the ways that God has given us to do that. It's by coming together. So we go. We don't stay. Brothers and sisters, let us be like him in this. That though we may have the right to stay home, let's not. Let's not forsake the gathering together, especially all the more as we see the day approaching. And I think we all know, I don't have to tell you, it's coming. It's approaching. I'm not a prophet and I'm not going to act like one. All I know is that the sky is changing. And, it's, and it, it seems to be resembling the times and the seasons that the Bible gives us to look at and discern. I know that we're closer today to that day than we were yesterday, which means that I need you more today than I did yesterday. It means I'm going to need you more next week because who knows what the headlines are going to look like then, but the day of God's still coming. It can't be stopped. It can't be undone. It can't be erased. It's coming. We need to encourage each other. As that day's coming, we need to stir each other up. We must speak truth to each other. We need to be truth tellers. In a world full of lies, we need to tell the truth to each other. We must speak the gospel to each other. We must remind each other why we must stay the course. It is not circumstantial. It is what's just up ahead. When a sports team has a game that's approaching, what do they do more? They practice more, right? They get together more, not less. They prepare. They build up the team. They tighten things up to get ready for the match so that they might win. It is not time for the church to sleep right now. It is not time for us to relax. It is not time for us to be individualistic in our thinking. It is not time for us to be consumers. It is time for you and I to be about others. Right now, more than any other time in this nation's history, going to church and being an active part of the church is a good excuse to miss everything else. Amen? God, thank you for the church. Thank you that you didn't save us to, to leave us to fend for ourselves. Thank you that you designed it so that we would all be brought into something bigger, something protected, something strong. 
I thank you, Lord, for the people that you've put around me in my life that speak truth to me when I have no truth in me. And I thank you most of all for Christ, who though he had every right to stay home, went on my behalf, God, may I do that for others. May we have this mind about us. In Jesus' name, amen.